carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. You're in the mainframe. It's eating through Greg's entire system. Access encoded. Gigabyte of RAM should do the trick. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. We're in. Hello, and welcome to We're In, a podcast that gets inside the brightest minds in cybersecurity. I'm Blake Subcheck. And I'm Bella Deshans-Cook. We have a very special guest with us today, Synac's own solutions architect, Idne Pican. Fun fact about Idne, he was honored with the CyberScoop Most Inspiring Up-and-Comer Award in October. Isn't October Cybersecurity Awareness Month? Listen, every month is Cybersecurity Awareness Month in my book, but yes, technically it's, it's in October. Well, we will let Idne bring us a little extra cyber awareness in today's episode. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Attackers scan your systems daily. You just don't get the report. Synax Security Testing Platform stands out by drawing on a trusted network of global security researchers. From web apps to headless APIs, our platform helps you find and fix gaps in your security posture. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com. Thank you, Ine, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Always glad to be a part of anything dealing with cyber and Synac. <laughs> of course, of course. And I, I know, you know, cybersecurity is such a high stakes industry. It can get pretty intense at times, down to the wire. I was curious if you have methods for de-stressing or how you deal with such a really difficult at times job description. Yeah, actually, when I talk to people, it is a common thing. I literally had somebody ask me the other day, like, how do you deal with managing all these different things and keeping up because it's always ever changing? I know for me, I guess I enjoy it. You know, I really like it. Uh, And I think doing it for so long, I feel like it's like it goes slower over time. So even though there's a lot of things, but it's like, for example, when you're driving a stick shift, you have to remember a lot of things. But then the more you do it, it just becomes second nature. So with this, it's similar. You know, it. It becomes second nature where just you just got kind of get used to, oh, I got to learn something new. Oh, this new thing happened. I got to keep up with the wild. Oh, something else happened. I, I got to be completely honest with you. I don't know how to drive a stick shift. I've tried and I've <laughs> learned multiple times. And there was one time I could get away with it. But now, so I don't know what that says about my cybersecurity skills, but <laughs> sounds like know, sounds right? like you've got the know-how. It's, it's a good skill to have. Bella, do you, do you drive stick if you don't mind me asking? No, I think I've driven a stick shift vehicle once. So I have more practice with cybersecurity, at least. That's, I'll, I'll say that. I feel more comfortable <laughs> in the cybersecurity field than I do behind the wheel of a stick shift vehicle. Well, and I feel like it's such a, it, it can be a bit of a cliche, but I think it is true that, you know, sort of like traffic, cybersecurity, it just moves so fast. There's things are constantly changing, kind of hitting at that, Edna, with your comments there. And how do you keep up? Like, how do you manage that that constant stress? One thing I will say is, though, I do wake up early before everybody's up. Okay, this kind of helps me get my day in order. So I don't like kind of rushing um, to have just enough time to make it to somewhere to do something. I like to have like two extra free hours just to kind of slow myself down, think about my day, what may happen. So it kind of prepares me for when something crazy happens. It's like, okay, you know what? I expected it. It's cool. I'm okay. You know, that's kind of how, that's my best strategy is to, to have two hours before the day starts where everybody's kind of texting you, calling you, all those kind of things. Edna, I feel like having worked with you and been on like, I think we've been on at least one <laughs> 
like slightly stressful customer call, I am 0% surprised to hear you say that. Like I can very much imagine you as the person who like gets up early and has a super zen <laughs> morning and then is just like, all right, like nothing can touch me all day long. I'm totally good. I've had my zen morning. We're good to go. That's funny, my well, zen morning. Yeah, I like that. One question I had is what do your days look like after these zen mornings? You know, what what is a solutions architect? I mean, architect for the record is a really cool title. I feel like you add architect to something and it just sounds better. Like I wish I could be called like <laughs> editing architect or podcast architect. That's that's legit. So what does it mean? What do you do? Yeah, you know, as a solutions architect, um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, ways that you can look at it. Um, but the best way to look at it is that, you know, there's organizations, there's these enterprises, and they have, you know, assets. They have assets that need to be protected. And in my space here at Synac, as a solutions architect, my job is to help them harden those assets, protect those assets at all times. But actually, the bigger picture even is, obviously, we're protecting those assets from adversaries. But I even tell them, like, this is not going to be like 100%. The goal is to get the adversary to be annoyed by your environment, how hardened it is. It's going to annoy them so much that they're going to go to somebody else. Now, I don't wish... I don't wish that, but I just don't want it to be my customers. <laughs> <laughs> so your customers are like coming to you as the security expert, telling them like, here are the areas that you need to focus on in order to, you know, like you said, be so secure that so secure that the the hackers are not interested. They're going somewhere else. How did you become that security expert? How did you get into cybersecurity and then get to where you are now in this job? Yeah, how I got to cybersecurity, um, I actually started in the IT space with doing help desk. And honestly, I think that's one of the best ways to start. So start from the bottom and moving up because you have a better understanding of the whole picture, dealing with individuals. Back in the, so from IT help desk, went to networking, did that. And then in 2009 is when I really did cybersecurity. But back in that time, it just wasn't a popular thing. You know, you would go to tell someone that they need to be secure. And it's like, well, my networking is good. Like, why do I need security? Like, you don't make me money. I, I don't have money to spend on security. So it was really challenging in some sense, you know. But I started actually in a garage, literally. Started in a garage. I never forget when I, you know, when I got the job, they said, uh, I just want to make sure you're okay with working in a garage. It's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, you wound up in a garage? Who like how does that happen? Yeah, it was it was it was a startup, you know. Uh, but I loved it, honestly. I just remember them asking if I had a jacket. A jacket? What, <laughs> where was on? this? Uh, now hold on. Garage working cyber <laughs> out of a garage? That's uh this isn't a garage band situation. You're protecting yeah, people's networks. <laughs> no, it was in Michigan. I used to live in Michigan and uh, this was in Rochester Hills area. And, um, you know, it was through a company that was able to go through Robert Half, but the startup company was doing a big project with Chrysler. And I just remember them saying that, you know, you know, this this job will be Monday through Friday in a garage. I just want to make sure before you accept the role, you're OK with that. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm OK. With that. Yeah. But I think in my mind, I was just like, I mean, I know they're saying a garage, but I don't think they really mean it. So I go to the location. I'm like. This is a garage. Okay. We're going to do this, though. So we're all right. We're going to do this. But I loved it. It was just the best thing, uh, best experience. 
feel like that would be really nice until like February in Michigan in a garage. I don't know. I don't know if I can. Oh do that. yeah, it, it, it was cold at times, but you know, for a few jumping jacks, we'll do it. <laughs> Hang on, I need to take a quick jumping jack break, warm up my fingers. Right, right, so that right, I can right. Keep <laughs> yeah, why you read that IP address? Give me one second. I'm just gonna do a few jumping jacks. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, that's why I basically started my cybersecurity experience. And but over time, I realized that apart from work, it, it actually, you know, spills into your home because you also started having computers in your home and you want to protect it. So then you just start to learn about like how to keep things protected, maybe just different things. What would happen in in a uh, like, let's say if you're in a chat room and. All of a sudden, you just got a virus because you clicked on something that you thought was coming from somebody legit. Or uh, you're, you know, back in the day, you know, I did at the time. I don't do it now, but downloading music and stuff and certain things that you would get from Kazaa and BearShare. So I was like, wait a minute, I need to be more protective even in my own home. So overall, I think it kind of evolved that way. So I know before working, you know, at Synac as a solutions architect, you were on the Synac red team for a bit before you joined like full time at the company. What was that experience like working as like a bug bounty hacker? I mean, it was really cool because even the bug bounty thing, it's just like it it was an exciting thing when it really got kind of got really big and popular. And I started in other, you know, platforms before, but what was cool about Synac, I, I have to say this like the thing is, which is funny uh, because it's in the crowdsource space, but a lot of people love Synac because it's not as crowded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really cool thing because Synac made it where you were vetted in. And in the community, there's something about that that feels really cool, you know, that I made it through a process that had to be vetted in. Oh, it was referred to as the Navy SEAL of cybersecurity, like in the different chat rooms and stuff. But it was a really cool experience because you're not, you, you know, you. Don't, I thought I was going to just feel kind of like by myself, but you're actually with a community of people sharing different things. And But what I loved about the bug bounty is in the enterprise world, you deal with one environment and that's what you see all the time. In the bug bounty, you were seeing, like you're seeing so many different environments. So what you see evolves over time, right? And it's an amazing thing because you're just seeing things that you would have never seen if you were just working at or looking at one environment. And there's something really advantageous about that in the bug bounties in the bug bounty world. Is there a lot of competition? I feel like that world could get so cutthroat. It could so easily get so cutthroat, right? For for listeners who may not be super familiar with the Synac Red team, you know, it's it's our uh, at Synac our group of 1,500 plus elite security researchers around the world, all essentially competing to you know earn money, working, finding these really important vulnerabilities on customer networks. What's that environment like? You know, you say it's the Navy SEALs. I picture Navy SEALs just trying to stay ahead of the next one and doing 10,000 push-ups. And <laughs> is it pretty intense? Yeah, I mean, it is intense, you know, but I, I do see that here, this, the environment is, is really cool because there's different things that are always evolving, like different uh, mentorship mentorship programs that with, that's within the SRT, just the fact that you learn from each other. But there is a level of, like, I would say, like, for example, you know, there's, there's scripts that these individuals have that I would say is their baby, you know? It is always ever-evolving, <laughs> right? So in that sense, it's very competitive. Like, you would never just get a uh, a preview to that. And I would say that that's one of the 
the one of the one of the things that's most competitive is I know for me that was a challenge because when you have some really good scripts, you know, there's things that you can do to get really creative to get these tests pretty quickly um versus the other person. So is that like the the secret spice mix at the chili cook off or something that people are <laughs> You can say that's a secret sauce. So um yeah, to get your hands on that. <laughs> but yeah, uh I would say that's part that part is pretty competitive, you know, as far as the secret sauce. Was it like getting into working Bug Bounty, both with Synac Red Team, and you mentioned you tried other platforms as well. Did you have an idea of what working on Bug Bounty was like before you started doing it? And then when you started doing it, did it live up to your expectations? I had an idea, but man, it was way different than I thought. Way different. And it actually exceeded my expectations. And I really loved it because it made you realize that, wow, there's so many different things that I can even do for my own organization that I'd even think of, you know, because there's something about when you're given like an opportunity to look at another environment and sometimes even their prod environment and to be able to test that with permission. That's just like, oh my goodness, wait a minute, what, what am I going to find? You know, versus, you know, something you see almost every day. It's like, yeah, it's nothing really new, but there's something about that, you know, and one thing about, I, I'd say be it would be nice for hackers like someone getting to hacking to have is just the idea of being curious. So for Bug Bounty, if you're a very curious person, like this is just a goal of mine, you know? And I didn't realize just the vast of information and things that you could see. Like just like, for example, like there'll be technology that you may have not even heard of that you see one of your targets have. And it's just like, I never heard of this. I'm going to have to Google it real quick. Oh, this is great. I hear you on Googling. I often I often end up need to frantically frantically Google things terms that I don't understand. You know, even I, I feel like for outsiders of the industry, even terms that we toss around like penetration testing, it just sounds sort of awkward and incomprehensible. I'm wondering even what that means to you doing pen testing. Yeah, I know. Like sometimes it's just there's no good word when somebody asks you from the outside, like what do you do? You know, because you could say all the different terms that we have: ethical hacker, pen tester. You know, it, it's still very hard, you know, but pen testing is, you know, typically what we use. And what I try to explain in a basic form is, you know, there's obstacles and you're, you're literally trying to penetrate. You're trying to penetrate and see how far you can get. You know, what, what can you pass? Like there's some defense. And as an offense, you're trying to, in basketball terms, for example, you're trying to do a crossover, you know, and you're just trying to continue penetrating. But that's typically how I explain it to people on the outside, just so that they have a good understanding. But what I really tell them, big picture is, you know, yes, we have tools, we have compliance. But the thing is, how do you know you're really protected? Like, how do you know that? I appreciate the basketball analogy, but I'm I'm just telling on myself today. I can't drive stick, and I really can't play basketball. And <laughs> people think I'm six foot two. People think that I'd be good at it, and I just end up in the wrong spot. Everybody's yelling oh, at me. Oh no. <laughs> Blake, please, you have to have some cool hobby or something because you're just, you're going to drive everybody I away. I guess, I know. I need to, I need to, we, we need to, we need to bring in some other analogies here. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, I get it. The, cro- the crossover, right? Getting, you know, trying to, trying to really get past any obstacle in your way and score that uh, goal. What do they even say in basketball? What it, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's in the name. No. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to stop talking now about. <laughs> about basketball. Yeah, I mean, I would have used NFL analogies, but the thing is, I I'm a football player, but the other football. So, I'm oh, not, okay. Yeah, as we like, as some would call it, soccer. Then soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, yeah. maybe I can hold my own on the on the the field slash pitch. Oh, you know about pitch? There we go. Uh, okay, that's good. There we go. A little redemption. All right, right, right. <laughs> You've been redeemed. <laughs> yeah, two credits. <laughs> Whew, all right. We're safe. Everyone's going to stay, Blake. You you haven't scared everybody away. <laughs> right. Keep at least the soccer football fans. <laughs> exactly. Idne, so like you, you talked a little bit about like you mentioned ethical hackers. And, and I wanted to ask you about like, I think something that we deal with a lot in this field, particularly on this side of things, like where we are working with customers and we're trying to like have them pursue security. I feel like we often hit this wall of misconceptions or misunderstandings about the type of people who work in security as bug hunters or as pen testers, um, what do you, like, what kind of misconceptions do you see and how do you maybe like correct people on those misconceptions? Oh yeah. I mean, back in, when I was getting to bug bounty, like when I realized how cool this really was, you know, it's funny because there's two things that I always got from people when I would tell them about bug bounty and how great it is. Uh, the two things, the first thing was, how can I trust you guys? Right. And then the other one was with all the, like, if you were to find all these vulnerabilities, who's going to manage all that, you know, but as far as the first one, how can you trust that? That's the biggest thing is, I mean, who are these people? Where are they, where do they live? Like, I don't know what they're doing. Like these kids, like, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, how can I trust you? You're going to do stuff. You're going to, you're going to put stuff in the dark web and, you know, even when you go to Black Hat today, like there's even misconceptions there. Like, you know, people start hiding their phones and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think sometimes it's just they go too far as far as like what, what things are really like. But of course, some things that, like that do happen. But it is funny that uh, it's just a trust issue. It really is. It's a big trust issue. And that's the biggest thing that I find is, yeah, you guys are bug hunters, hackers, but how do we, how can we trust you? You know, even when you put ethical in front of it, it's like, mm, I don't think that's possible. That's what they say, you know? And then it's like, if you have to specify, right, then that's already a bad sign, you know? So it's like, what is this hacker business? But <laughs> I do think that that term gets just really short shrift. It's, I think it's a really valuable term, you know, styling oneself a hacker. And really, to me, it speaks to something actually quite positive and creative, right? Finding your way around different obstacles, to your point earlier, Idne. It's a really interesting field. And, you know, one thing to circle back on the vulnerabilities point, I feel like a common maybe criticism of especially bug bounty models, right, is, hey, look, maybe you're you're really good at finding these potholes on the bridge, right? But what about the bigger structural issues, the, the really impactful vulnerabilities that could jeopardize the entire bridge or the, your entire organization? Have you ever found anything like that? And how do you know, is there like a, a eureka moment or how do you even know when you've come across it? I like to call it like the, the sixth sense type of thing right because it's funny because typically when you find it that's the thing that's really special about this bug bounty space is like in the traditional pen testing it's more very methodical it's like okay let me just follow this method okay i did this i did this okay cool i did this see with the bug bounty like you know you're, you're starting and you don't know where you're gonna go like honestly you just sometimes you just don't know where you're gonna go but you just keep going you find this one thing and then you kind of pivot and you keep it there and it's like oh wait a minute let me go back to that and of course, you guys should get your music in the background, whatever you like to play. And you're just in a zone, right? You're going down this rabbit hole. And then when you finally see that one thing, it's like, oh, wow, this is it right here. That's why Bug Bounty is actually really special because typically 
you know, you have a good kind of a v- environment where it's not so restrictive. You know, you're just kind of thinking like more open, right? With the pen testing, it's all, it was always like, you know, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. Yeah, or, two, or a couple of people with clipboards or versus, you know, a, a whole team <laughs> of uh, of individuals looking into your networks and pen testing your networks, which I think that I, I think that does sort of set things apart a little bit. Oh, yeah. And when you do find that thing, I think it's it's also important to understand like what your target is because you you know in order to understand that thing is that thing, it helps to know like what your target is right to understand like what makes this such such a big impact. Because I remember, you know, back in the day, like in, you know at work, like I would find something, you know, early on and just really understanding this and you know C level would be like, okay, that's congratulations. Like, what does that mean for me? And I realized that wow, like I do have to look at this in a bigger picture. I have to understand my target and what really matters. And that's really one that's that's really thing that's really good about the adversaries. They understand, okay, this asset, for example, may generate this amount of revenue. So if I get to this, this is how it can impact the business. So therefore, when I do a ransomware, for example, they will more than likely pay up. <laughs> well, I do want to lock into kind of a concrete example of that. I feel like the log4j vulnerability, that's a uh, a Java logging utility that just <laughs> had a terrible flaw that emerged and just went haywire. I mean, headlines were screaming about the internet on fire because it was just everywhere all of a sudden. And everybody was hunting for this vulnerability, trying to figure it out. I guess on the flip side, you know, we haven't really seen widespread disruption from that, but I wanted to ask you about Log4j and just what you think of this vuln and have we seen the last of it? Yeah, well, we most definitely haven't seen the last of it, but there is a lot of arguments out there on the internet, <laughs> a lot of fun ones. But the thing about it is what I think makes this one a little bit different is Java is like everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there's about like 12 million developers that use Java in the whole world, <laughs> right? And it's sometimes it's really hard to know where it's at. And, I'm, and I'll be honest, like sometimes I think when this life trade happened, I'm presuming that there are people that just turn stuff off, okay? And so, they're, they're, yeah, you know, it hasn't, been as I would say like, oh, there's another breach, oh, there's another one. But I think it's gonna be a long, a long kind of long game type of thing, right? Because I think even recently, a few days ago, Lock4J has been popped by um Lazarus, the Lazarus group. The North Korean uh, state sponsored group. Yeah, yeah, I did see so, that. Uh I mean it's still happening, you know, it's just more so did somebody turn it off? Did somebody shut down their services because they don't know where it's at? You know, and then honestly, it is it is a lot of work to find scan where might it be and even when i find it is it really vulnerable or um oh because the thing one of the biggest things about in our space right now is because assets are growing and growing and growing uh it's just hard to manage those things right and it's hard to know oh i thought i sunset that oh it's still up oh my goodness i forgot um so it's just i think it's a long game but java's everywhere so honestly i i think that log4j might be around until the internet shuts off. <laughs> well, Bella, you have the background in pen testing as well, right? So, uh, what what do you think of uh, of Log4j's long tail here? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the most interesting things about Log4j for me, I think sometimes like when you know we we all work in or you know we're in cybersecurity, so we see all this kind of stuff all the time. I think a lot of the initial responses of like 
large customers and large organizations being like, oh my gosh, what services do we have that might be affected? That's no surprise, right? Like that happens every time we see a large widespread vulnerability. But one of the most interesting things for me was like, so I really like video games and (laughs) in all of the like video game circles and spaces that I'm in, we all had to have these conversations about whether or not our Minecraft servers (laughs) were vulnerable to log4j because it was like, it was Minecraft was vulnerable. And I think like, I just remember in that moment, I had this like really weird realization of like, oh yeah, like sometimes the stuff that happens in this space is not contained within that, this space. And I think that was like, that's what really made me realize how widespread this is. And I think to your point, you know, like if it's in something, I mean, obviously Minecraft is like what probably the most played game ever like that was easy to catch right but like how many people have like little random pockets of you know minecraft servers or whatever it is like whatever servers that they're running that they forgot about like you said that they're just like did we turn this off i don't know and i think it's it's definitely i will not be surprised to see it in random places like you said kind of forever (laughs) yeah and i'll uh, i was gonna add this is you know typically now a vulnerability comes, I mean, literally the next day or probably that night, there's a POC on GitHub, right? And I mean, you can pop Log4J in like under three minutes. Even if you're not IT savvy, you could be some 12-year-old kid somewhere just like, oh, let me try this out. That's a little um, nerve-wracking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me about it. That doesn't, and I, I know that's part of what set off this frenzied response to try to find and patch and then repatch when a new patch came out, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, uh, there's a challenge sometimes. I feel like there aren't enough people to do this, right? There's just, there's this, this talent shortage in the cybersecurity industry that I know certainly we harp a lot on at Synac because, you know, it is an urgent, an urgent problem that needs addressing. Um, Eden, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how to build a bigger tent in cybersecurity, how to get more people immersed in the industry, involved in it, fixing some of these really tough problems. Yeah, I mean, it, it most definitely, it takes the community. Like one of my favorite, um, Linux is the best OS, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite. Ooh, just going to drop that in <laughs> there? Casual, yeah. Casual. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm trailing into that because uh, one of my favorite distros of Linux is Ubuntu. Ubuntu means community, right? It, it's going to take the community to do this. This is why I love open source so much because you have a lot of eyes on a particular software, right? Like there's something special about that, right? And again, it takes the community of different set of eyes, different perspective. Of course, as we know, being in our crowd space and Synac here, I like to always, what I like to use in, in our day and age is ways. For me to drive and for the app to tell me through the community, again, to the crowd that there's a tire on the right side coming up in about a mile, my goodness, that's like, wow, that's amazing, you know? Even when it tells you that there's a cop, you know, that'd be nice to know too, but you should be following the speed limit. So I'm not saying don't speed, but <laughs> there's something Just like you never downloaded right music on Kazaa that you mentioned earlier. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right>. No, <laughs> well, I, I got you. Of course, none of us have. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, that's silly, right? Come on, nobody does that. <laughs> I really like that kind of idea of, you know, the industry needing to like move more towards community to solve problems, including the talent gap problem. But like who drives that push towards, you know, a community mindset in cybersecurity? 
Yeah, I mean, it is, that's a, that is a good question. I do think about that even myself. I, I really do it, feel like it's something that it needs to come from the cybersecurity individuals, right? And it shouldn't have to be something that's like organized only in the workplace. Uh, that should be something that we basically evangelize, even starting from home, and then it propagates out, right? Um, like, for example, like one thing that I love to do is I love to mentor people into cybersecurity. But even when I do that, I don't just focus on the technology aspect. I focus on the human element as well, right? Because when you understand the bigger picture of what what's all going on, it starts to make more sense. So, for example, if I, I'll tell somebody, okay, it's good to understand like networking, routers, and switches, but let's start with your router at home, right? Like, you know, right now for breach, all these breaches that are happening, one of the biggest things is network segmentation. That's like, okay, let's start that at home. Well, we have TVs today that have an IP address, okay? And when Samsung is creating a TV, for example, they're not thinking, oh, let me, let me secure that TV. That TV is connected to your network with no, with no, with no protection as opposed to like a laptop, you know, maybe with the AV on it, but the TV doesn't, right? Your refrigerator has an IP now. You might want to segment these IoT devices so that they're not on the same network. So let's start Let's start at home first. And then we go to the, oh, well, how do I do that? Oh, okay, so we're going to log into your router. We're going to do this. You know, so it makes it more real because it's now your home. Like, it's your stuff. Like, when it's your stuff, it's a little bit different. Uh, when it's the company's stuff, honestly, like, people just have a feeling like, well, it's not my stuff. You know, when it's your stuff, it hits home differently. Yeah. So if you are, if you're listening and you're like, huh, I don't think I'm a cybersecurity expert. Well, if you've like done anything to make sure that your devices are secure, then boom, you're, you're on your way. And I will say this, (laughs) if you use Instagram or Facebook, you're IT savvy. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like there's things on Instagram I don't even know how to do. Okay, I guess it's it's impressive. <laughs> Every time I like turn on MFA on another account, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm a security expert. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out. I just out, did security I'm, today. I'm still trying to figure out these Instagram reels. I don't know if there's some sort of secret code or password I need to unlock those. But okay, well, I'm not that kind of expert yet. Right, right. Yeah, and TikTok. I, I mean, that's a whole other level right there. That's oh, we <laughs> TikTok has its share of uh, cybersecurity <laughs> and functionality issues, I feel like, but we won't go down that road. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I am curious, you know, just looking, stepping back and, and looking at the cybersecurity arena as a whole, are there any issues that you feel like just don't get their fair shake or don't get enough attention or investment in this space? Um, you know, I think the, uh, for that, I would say one of the things that I love that uh, Sean Parker said when he was talking about Facebook, he used the term and he says psychological hack, okay? And I think the thing that really doesn't get pressed on is we focus a lot on technology, but we just miss the psychological part of, of hacking. You know, I guess we could call it also social engineering. This is a really big aspect. And I would, co- I would cover that with also the reconnaissance phase. We talk a lot about exports a lot, but the reconnaissance phase doesn't get <laughs> enough attention. The reconnaissance phase is huge. It's a big deal. I just think it doesn't get, I don't know if it's because it's the first phase of an attack. You know, I don't know. I still don't know what it is, but I think it's the reconnaissance phase aspect. When do you, what are you referring to when you say reconnaissance phase? What does that encompass? Yeah, reconnaissance phase would be the uh, equivalent to like, you know, I like to use this example. You're like, you're watching a movie and the bad guys, even if it's like 
because they've been home alone. Like, okay, how how are we going to get into Kevin's house? All right, this is what we're going to do. And typically, you see like the map drawn out on the table. Okay, this is the entry point. This is the entry point. So you're 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 basically mapping how you're going to find a weak entry point, right? Because you're not necessarily going to go to the front door, but sometimes you can do that. <laughs> but you're trying to figure out how can I get into this environment. I got to think this out first. I'm going to collect all of these different data points, all this different data for me. I'm going to do some homework even before I'm going to figure out like maybe who are the neighbors or like even if your target is some particular C-level person, you're not going to necessarily target him first. You're going to go to his his wife, you know, or, you know, husband, whatever, or uncle or sister, you know, it's, it's all of this collection that you're doing to understand your target. You know, and that takes some work, right? Like, and I feel like that just doesn't get enough um, emphasis on it. This sounds a lot like uh, threat modeling, which oh, yeah, personally your is my most favorite <laughs> part of cybersecurity. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever had a conversation with me, you probably know that threat modeling is my most favorite thing. Actually, yeah, threat modeling. <laughs> but I, I, I think, I think it's like I think it's similar or adjacent, or at least recon is like a massive part of the threat modeling process, and like. I think threat modeling is maybe even just like a more corporate word for yeah, exactly. in a certain right. sense. <laughs> but like, I think it's really interesting. I've done threat modeling like assessments or even just had, you know, threat modeling type conversations with people who are working on security where like sometimes it really can be as simple as like, hey, but like this is all fine and good. Like all these protections are really smart, but did you think about this or like what, what research have you done into like the library that you're using for this functionality? Because I just saw an article yesterday that said it's super vulnerable. Like, and I think it is really interesting that sometimes like, I feel like we almost get these, like, I feel like in security, sometimes we get these like tunnel vision of like, well, I know that SQL injection is super bad. So I have spent so much time making sure that we are definitely not vulnerable to SQL injection. And someone's like, right, totally great, totally, totally fine. But have you heard about this vulnerable library? Like, have you heard about this other thing that you're you're not doing or like, you know, whatever it is. And I think like having more emphasis on that research and like what information is out there about what I'm using, what, you know, what this environment is. I think that that's, that's definitely should be a bigger part of the, of the security kind of workflow. It should. You know, even to your point that when we were talking about before, like kind of knowing your environment, like if you don't have something there, like when there's a big zero day and we jump, the enterprise jump and it's like, but do you actually have that tool? Oh wait, I don't even have that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's relax, let's relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, I think that was a huge thing that happened with Log4j, where there were there were people, you know, all over the place that were like, "Oh my God, are we vulnerable?" And they didn't even have any Java. Java. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's really important to know what yeah, you have. Yeah, it is. You know, and honestly, it's. I think that's the reason why um, there's so many breaches is. You just don't know your your territory, you know. But I, but yeah. I, what I like to say is the hacker knows. They know, and that's a big deal. So, I guess you know, thinking back to going back to some trends that you're witnessing and seeing, what do you feel? What do you feel like is the next big thing in in cybersecurity? Like, do you see any? Are we going to continue to see these open source vulnerabilities like Log4j? Is it maybe something else going to come on the horizon that you anticipate? What sort of trend lines are you seeing? Yeah, I, I do foresee more of those 
open source vulnerabilities. I mean, I think the biggest thing is we have more assets today more than ever. So anytime there's more assets, there's going to be more vulnerabilities naturally, right? Like even now somebody's home is way different than in the past. Like there's so many ways to pop a house now because of different things. Like people have ring devices in their homes now. You know, back in the day, it's just... Now you're really making me want to check my home <laughs> network. I got to say, we keep coming back to this. I'm getting nervous. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's just more assets, right? That's how I kind of look at it is there's more assets. And now, instead of applications being more like on-prem and local, like to go to start, launch your application, now you're going to launch your web application, which is accessed all over the world, to do 443 and 80. And then it's like you're logging into the application, like... A website and web application is so different. Website, it's like you just have a flyer posted about, oh, we're open at this day, that day. Okay, whatever. But now we have web applications. We have open doors that we can access from anywhere in the world. So it's a game changer. But at the same time, it's nice, too, to be able to access it everywhere in the world, right? So for me, the biggest thing I see is, uh, and it's funny because Gartner called this uh, EASM, External Attack Service Management. Uh, they, they coined this last year, but since the 90s, you know, hackers has been all about the tax surface. And I think that's going to be the really the biggest thing because because there's so many assets. Now there's just more opportunity to get into so many places that it's hard to keep up with. Right. Because honestly, some of these breaches, I'll be honest, like some of them are not even that sophisticated. It's like, oh, my goodness, I haven't realized that there was an Apache server out there that wasn't patched. My goodness, I didn't even realize that. So EASM is going to be a good help for that, to be able to start knowing your assets. But at the same time, actually, I would say even playing the game. Because now that you start to understand your assets, you you start to more understand, okay, potentially this is what they'll go for and this is why. You can, you can you start, you start to understand the why about something. When you understand the why, you can play the game better. But when you're just doing things, you just don't even know why you're doing it, but you're just doing it. It's just hard to understand what is the adversary looking for like what is it that they want but when you start understanding what you have you'll start understanding what they want and why they want it no that's a really good point and, and really appreciate all the insights you've shared into kind of what you're seeing and, and your work and i did want to ask we always ask our guests one question toward the end of our interviews and that's what's something that we wouldn't know about you from your linkedin in other words maybe a fun fact or something that that just wouldn't be apparent to somebody browsing through your linkedin LinkedIn, yeah. So you wouldn't know that I, I love, I'm a soccer player. Arsenal is my team. My, my, <laughs> my wife and fat, my kids. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Putting it out there. Been married for 16 years, two girls, and we love traveling all over the world. We love Disney World a lot. And something that you probably never know is uh, my wife and I, like, we love dancing. Love dancing. It's like the best. It's like the most free, just very free, you know, still like one of the best things, dancing. I do love dancing as well. I I, I respect that. I Again, I'm not sure which is worse, my dancing oh. or my basketball, but we can <laughs> flip a coin. But I do I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. And oh uh, we really gosh. appreciate you. Ibne, I feel like that's your secret. Like uh, you, you didn't say you had a specific, I mean, you had your Zen mornings, but maybe this is your secret you know, fight the stress of cybersecurity oh, yeah. trick should, is that you just dance a lot. Cause yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I feel that, like that's something, that's maybe it. I should you try know, that. A, a breach happens and, you know, just do a little quick breach dance, you know, a little breach dance. 
and then it gets you kind of focused. You know? I love yeah, that idea. You should try it out. Breach dance. Dance the, dance the yeah, hackers right. away. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the program here and uh, really enjoyed talking with you. And I'm probably going to have to go double check my own local IP here and yeah, uh, make sure everything's I'll, locked I'll check down. check that out real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Blake's just been getting progressively like sweatier I'm, for the I'm last sweating 15 over minutes. Here. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this conversation now, but we really appreciate your insights and uh, it's, it's been great getting to know some of your work. Oh yeah, for sure. And I appreciate, uh, thank you for having me on the show. You guys do great work. I love it. If you like today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. It'll really help us get noticed on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, share this episode with your friends, and if you haven't already, make sure to check out all the other really fascinating people that we've already interviewed. We're also open to suggestions. If you know someone we should be talking to, drop us a line at we'reinpodcast at synac.com. That's we'reinpodcast at S-Y-N-A-C-K dot com. We're In is brought to you by Synac. If you're looking for on-demand, continuous access to the world's most skilled and trusted security researchers, you can learn more at synac.com. Synac recently launched its Empower Partner program so that partner organizations can more easily offer the Synac pen testing platform to their own customers. This approach helps optimize Synac partners' technical competencies and allows them to better integrate Synac into their portfolios. It's a way that partners can win new business by adding continuous, best-in-class solutions to cybersecurity, cloud, and DevSecOps offerings. Synac partners with organizations around the world to make them safer, more resistant to cyber attacks and more capable of finding and fixing dangerous vulnerabilities before attackers are able to exploit them. Learn more at synac.com. That's S-Y-N-A-C-K.com.